That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare. And I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello there, friends. Welcome back to Out of Patience. Got another exciting episode for you today with the one and only Effie Parks. Now, just imagine you have this fabulous life. You're growing up in Montana. You meet this wonderful guy. You get married. You have your little shop of horrors somewhere that's green vision of your life. Boom, you have a kid, and he's got a crazy rare genetic syndrome. What do you do? Well, you do what she did, which is go nuclear as an advocate for your child. She's also a podcaster. She's got a great voice. She's interviewed tons of people. Her show is called Once Upon a Gene. Link in the description. And man, we had a great conversation about all the things. It's a great show. She's an amazing human being. Effie Parks, here we go. I love the audio only. Fuck video. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, I come from this world, obviously you know, where I'm talking to caregivers who have so much of a burden in every part of their life. And like sometimes showering can be almost impossible. And to feel the pressure of having to be on video is almost too much for some. Well, that's a great start to the show. Effie Parks, welcome to Out of Patience. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me, Matthew. That was a cold open. It was great. I think the role of the caregiver has never gotten the comeuppance it deserved. How do you feel about that? I would totally agree. While we're definitely here to support each other, there aren't necessarily supports in place for us as caregivers and for the chronic stress tightrope that we're constantly on. It's a really difficult journey for sure. And it's always the ones that get roped into it when you never wanted to be there, right? You didn't mm, wake up. Yes. And say, I'm getting married to have a kid that has a rare disease one day. Yes, as we lovingly and laughingly like to say, this is the club that nobody ever wants to join. Exactly. So let's go back to what you were doing before you entered the uh-oh store. Sure. I mean, I was young. I had met the love of my life. Finally, I ran a very successful salon downtown in Seattle, Washington, and couldn't wait to start my family. Uh, you know, it was something I had always wanted. And my husband and I had all of these fictional dreams, right, of what our kid was going to be like and what our life was going to look like and all of the all of the milestones that we would get to be a part of, like with school and prom and graduation and grandparenting. You make up this stuff in your head and you you almost believe it. It becomes tangible. It becomes something you put on your mantle. And when that whole idea is completely shattered it is a rude awakening. It is a traumatic experience. And it is a long road to acceptance. I'll ask you a pointed question that you'll laugh at that I always get asked, which is, 
is everything really happening for a reason? Because they're really fucking stupid reasons. <laughs> they are really stupid reasons. And no, I don't necessarily believe everything happens for a reason because uh, I would never imagine that pain on children would ever be okay for any reason. So no, I do believe that there are special people put in your path at the right time to help you on your way in some way. I do believe that. And that's as far as that goes. It's the cat poster platitudes that I really hate. Like, if you can dream it, you can do it. Like, come on. Really? Yeah. And sometimes those mantras might be helpful for certain points in your journey. And sometimes they're maddening. And they could backfire so quickly on other people that try to say, but you look great. Yes, yes. I mean, as you know, I'm sure you heard so many well wishes that were just the opposite, right? As parents, we hear a lot like, at least they're here. And oh, they'll catch up. And oh, I knew someone like that once. And he graduated from Harvard. And all of the things that really aren't helpful and don't make sense for your life. So the cancer that I had was a pediatric cancer. You're born with it. I don't know why I chose to like wake up one day when I was a college senior. But I've met a lot of parents who have children with the same tumor these days. And I say, look, I'm a rare exception. I'm the oldest living medulla survivor, pediatric kid in the country, as far as I know, after speaking to a million people. How do you balance false hope with optimism? Well, I mean, I think you being that odd man out is what is hopeful, Matthew. I think that when you can look at something so extreme and the odds that you're facing and what these parents are probably told when their kids are diagnosed with this rare form of cancer, looking at you is something that is a beacon, right? And it gives them those hopes that maybe they can still cling to of milestones and uh, situations that they might end up being in. I do feel like... Once you're in this world for a little bit, your language changes and your expectations definitely morph into being more of right now and you stop focusing on future and things that you can't control. And you start to realize that you have no control no matter what, even right now. And that's kind of liberating. How old were you when your son was born? I think I was 33 when he was born. He was born in 2016. Okay. I didn't mean to like out your age here on the show, but uh, you're, no, you're, that's you're pretty okay. Googleable. <laughs> yeah, I think I was 33. It's like at a time in your life where you're supposed to be taking 10 steps forward and doing all the things like you paint your portrait of your future in, in this idyllic way and then shit happens. Do you really need to be matured that much more quickly? So I've been enjoying my 20s and then I'm like, ah, shit, I got to grow up now because I'm dying. Man, I don't I don't know if maturity has anything to do with it. I think skills that are really, really essential that you have to bring to the table if you don't already have them is simple coping skills, Right. is stress management, is things like that, is like actually figuring out who you are and how you react to situations. I think that's some of the most important stuff that you have to really nurture right in the beginning because this is hard. Are you familiar with the Yiddish expression chutzpah? Yes. Yes and no. Please explain it to me a little more. Other words are like moxie, gumption. It's like yeah. your inherent ability to say, no, fuck you. I'm in charge, <laughs> basically. But do you feel like you had the embedded tools? Maybe you and your husband have the embedded tools to be that advocate you never expected to be? Or was it like a huge, holy shit, what do we do now? We have to be advocates. A little bit of 
both in a way. I'm a force. And when I have something that I want to do, there is nothing that's going to stop me. Maybe it's a form of stubbornness, but when I have something that I know needs to be done, or if it's something that I believe in, or if it's something that's going to intertwine with my integrity whatsoever, there's no stopping me. Uh, But as an advocate in the beginning, I had no idea I was supposed to be that. I had no idea how to be that. I had no idea what that even meant. I thought I was like a customer in a way and that my doctors and everyone was going to help me and help my son. And that was a rude awakening because I wasn't getting any of that help or any of that guidance. So once I figured out, oh, I actually have to step up and I have to do this myself and my voice has to be heard and I have to get what I want and I have to do that by myself. Yes, that was a rude awakening, but it was also empowering. And it made me realize that I'm not here along for the ride. I am in the driver's seat along with everyone else who is dealing with my son. You hear the stories, right, of what a parent will do for their child. And while it's absolutely true, you never really have to expect that you have to do that over getting their care. So had you had any prior experience understanding rare disease and even those syllables before any of this happened to you and your husband? No, no clue. Healthiest, never going to the doctor kind of people. Our families are both super healthy. We just really had no experience with the medical field in general. I mean, the reason I asked about that is because sometimes like the cancer people come up and say, oh, my grandpa died of cancer. Like, thanks. Not helping. Right. And like, <laughs> that's depressing the fuck out of me and not want to do anything. Yeah, myself. No. I guess where I wanted to go with that was the idea of and we've heard this a million times. Just go be your own advocate. It isn't that simple most of the time. No, it's absolutely not. There isn't a class and there isn't anyone teaching you how to do it when you're in the depths of despair and when you are all consumed with medications and appointments and information and being postpartum as a female and being a new parent and, you know, having your world implode. You're also supposed to be this amazing, steadfast advocate who knows what they're doing. And that is just not realistic. That is why so many people feel like they're drowning. It becomes such an isolating experience in so many ways. And it's really hard to figure out how to navigate it in the beginning or find the right people to connect to, to get that information and to kind of flex that muscle and really figure out what you're supposed to do. Did you ever really fancy yourself a podcaster? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, who didn't want to be Oprah? Okay, right, right. Like she's one of my heroes. But no, absolutely not. I didn't ever imagine that. It's definitely outside of my wheelhouse. I mean, I was a hairstylist. Mm -hmm. So sure, I was talking to people all day, every day for my life and my job, which is very similar in a lot of ways. But no, I didn't have any idea I'd be a podcaster. Podcasting came to me when I was searching for anything and anyone who was talking about what my new life was like because nobody I knew had any clue. Nobody in my first, second, or third ring of circle of people around me had any clue. And nobody could identify with me. And it just started floating further and further away. And I was in the car almost 100% of my time taking my son to appointments. And that's where I really discovered podcasting and the medium and that I could be a passive friend or listener and consume this information at my pace in between my tears, in between my son's appointments. And 
when I finally found that one podcast that spoke to my soul, I just knew I had to be a part of this conversation. So when you're born and raised in New York City, pretty much everything west of Jersey is the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I've been to Montana once or twice. I've been to Washington State a few times. But tell me what it was like to grow up in Montana. And then was moving to Washington like going to like the urban jungle? Well, growing up in Montana was the most magical experience ever. You know, you went outside in the morning and you didn't come home until the sun went down. Everything you did was in the fresh air. I mean, we did everything outside. We floated the rivers in the summer. We went sledding in the winter. We used our environment for every bit of our fun and growth. And it smelled so good. And people are so nice. And no matter where you drive, someone waves to you as your car passes. It is just a different world. Moving to Seattle, Washington, not necessarily concrete jungle shock, but definitely more of an electronic shock. Mm -hmm. You know, like, sure, everyone claims to be outdoorsy here, but it's very Patagonia outdoorsy. You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it's weekend warriors. So it was just different in that things were trendy here and it was kind of a lifestyle at home. My few times in Montana were just totally transformative. If you haven't yeah. been, you have to go just because like, wow, so this is air. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that big sky and the way that it smells, you cannot explain it. It is a physical experience. I went to like Bozeman. And I was like, oh, what is this? Like, oh, my God, I can breathe. It's a wildflower. Wow. And you're right. Like no one's on the highway because like it's 85 miles an hour and there's no accidents because no one there. And people wave to you and say hi to you and no one to know who you are. And like, I don't want to talk to you. But like, all right, fine. Hi, I'm yeah. June. I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I mean, if your car breaks down, someone helps you, you're going to their house for dinner probably yeah. before you get a ride home. Hands down. My God. Yeah. I genuinely envy the Midwestern that moves to the city versus the people in the city that move to the Midwest. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Vastly That would be different. a more painful shock for sure. And that's another podcast to be continued on the second half of the show. We'll be right back with Effie Parks. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's get to Ford 
your incredible son, did you get any sense during the pregnancy that there was a different condition going on or was this after he was born? A little bit of both, actually. When I was pregnant, I was cycled through about six different midwives. Uh, my insurance didn't give me the option to go to an OB. So I saw a different midwife every appointment. And as my pregnancy progressed, the midwives would comment that I was small, as in my baby was small, my belly was small. But then they always followed it up with a cheerful, but that's okay because you're small. Oh, and God. small people have small babies. <laughs> And that's as far as that ever went. So it's not something I worried about. I was super healthy. I had thick hair for the first time in my life. I could eat two cheeseburgers in one sitting. Like it was the best time ever. I was a happy pregnant person. When I gave birth, my son was very low birth weight. We had a really scary induction. One midwife, the last one who saw me said, oh my gosh, we have to give you an induction. Your baby is so small. And she was the first person to panic, and I didn't really understand. I had my induction. He was born very small, five pounds, two ounces, and he wouldn't eat. I couldn't get him to latch. I couldn't get him to swallow. Everybody kept telling me it was my problem. I must be doing it wrong. We took him into the doctor twice a week, and we were saying, something's wrong. He won't eat. He won't latch. The milk is all over his mouth. He's screaming all night long. He's not sleeping. And nobody listened to us. Nobody listened to us because we looked normal. We were polite. We were first-time parents. And nobody was listening. We finally got our doctor to listen to us at a three-month mark when she looked at the graph of his growth and said, I'm worried about Ford. We have to admit him into Children's Hospital right now. That was three months old. I'm pausing because I don't really have a response to that. Like the fact that it took three months is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, this was like my cold entrance, right? This is the stuff I learned all my lessons from. This is where I got all my advocacy grit was from those three months where I was completely ignored and also blamed that I was probably doing it wrong as a new parent. This is where I get all my strength was from those mistakes and the lack of knowledge from my end of knowing what advocacy was, was from those three months. So I love it when they name conditions like asteroids. There's no rhyme <laughs> or reason to the letters and numbers that make it up. It's like they just like vomit letters and numbers on a fridge magnet and boom, there's your condition. Charlie, Tango, Nathan, Nathan, Beta 1. Yes, yeah, CTNNB1 is the name of the gene at this point. We don't have a proper name for it yet. And when did they discover that that's what it was? And was it even a thing before it was what it was? Once we got admitted into the children's hospital at three months, we were on the radar. We immediately started seeing specialists and having therapy and got a geneticist and we got a whole exome sequencing test. So months after that, 16 months old, we got the diagnosis of CTNNB1. Our geneticist said, I found one paper on it. There's 30 children worldwide with this disorder. Some of them can say a couple words and some of them can take a couple steps. Good luck. There's no cure. There's no treatment. I don't know anything about it. Go love your kid. Go put him in therapy. The gene was discovered in 2012. He was diagnosed in 2017. So it was fairly newly discovered. It's a young gene that they've found. So not a lot of kids. But it sounds like they just said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. 100%. 
that's and I feel terrible. like that's different for some people depending on where they're at and maybe what geneticist they have or what disorder they have. But yeah, most of these rare diseases, the doctors that you encounter aren't going to know anything about it. And you just cross your finger that they know where to connect you or that they're intrigued. The cancer I had is called medulloblastoma. There's 200 a year and it always occurs under the age of 12 and I was 21. So it was like the endest of ones. <laughs> I wasn't, wow. there really was very little research in medulla. Today, it's a fairly thriving research point because they got like genomic markers for it now and it ties into other things. But just to get a sense of how rare you are and then to be told, good luck with your life, that probably made you like the Lewis Black character in Inside Out, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the beginning of that deep, deep isolation and the lack of hope and just really drudging through some really dark times, you know, places I had never been before, mentally, emotionally, really uncharted territories for me and so many families, right? And you understand that. I mean, even being an adult, it's probably still weird that you've had this experience, but then you have to watch all these kids. I mean, it's complicated. Yeah, extremely. And you know, I look at how I was diagnosed in the 90s when there was like AOL floppy disk, and that's kind of all we had at the time. <laughs> and today's rife with so much stuff, and yet it's harder than ever to find your tribe. Was there a first, oh my God, I'm not alone moment at all in this process? Yes. And it was from a podcast. You know, I searched through Facebook and all the things, and I still hadn't really discovered things like Global Genes or Nord because I didn't understand that my son was a rare disease. I didn't know I could use that title mm. because I was so dismissed when we were diagnosed that I didn't know that was my group. I didn't know that was my club. But when I was searching for anyone who was talking about what I was feeling, one of the podcasts I came across, I'm sure you know, were Sean and Kyle from the Two Disabled Dudes. Yep. And man, listening to those guys changed my whole life. It changed my thoughts I had on what kind of life my son would live as a disabled person and what kind of life he would live with a rare disease and just the general approach to life after something horrible happens. It really changed everything for me. And they brought me hope for the very first time. What does a day in life look like for a toddler with this rare condition? It's a spectrum like most things. So it's different for everyone. Right now, our days are so much less painful than they were before COVID. Ford has dealt with chronic lung issues forever. So he's usually either dealing with RSV or pneumonia on top of everything else. So that stuff's kind of difficult and you're going to the doctors a lot. But at this point, you know, we wake up, we give Ford his medicines. He is fed through a G-tube. His tone in his trunk is so low, he still cannot swallow food or chew food. So he gets fed by his G-tube. He's so lucky to be able to be in kindergarten right now. It's like the highlight of his life, getting on the school bus. And there he gets his speech, his OT, his PT. And, you know, he gets to have this amazing, immersive, inclusionary experience with all of these other kids. But yeah, it's therapies. It's doctor's appointments. It's a full calendar. And, you know, I have a second child, so... We're dealing with all of that stuff. I was going to say, I saw a beautiful little daughter on your homepage as well. Who's that? Yep. That's his little sister, Ezzy. She's almost three years old, which is bananas. <laughs> yes. They get bigger they, and opinionated. Mine are going to be 12. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good luck. I know. So this is the easiest moment in our life 
just like I said, Ford's health is so good right now since he's not in the actual facilities three times a day where there's so many germs and so many other people. It's been a nice break for his lungs and he's just stronger than ever. How do you feel about the word disabled in 2022? I feel great about it. I hope more people start to use that term. I use that term from listening to my disabled peers, not my peers, but my friends who are disabled. And I get my language from them. I mean, on the other side, we're living in like outrage culture, of course, of and course. like every differently abled and the new handicap signs and you can't have this on the streets anymore. Does it really matter? Or is it like 1% of the people making all the noise? I think language matters. I think that the idea of nothing about us without us is 100% important. And whatever a person wants to be called, that's what they should be called. I personally call my son lovingly my little disabled dude. And I encourage people to use that word. I think the term right now, special needs, is very touchy. Yeah, definitely touchy. I don't use the word special needs when I'm talking about Ford, but it is the only way to get some of the people who are in certain areas and especially right. who only deal with school districts, like use it as a hashtag. That's the only hashtag those people are ever searching. There are people that are afraid of the word disabled and they think it's demeaning and it's also touchy. They feel scared to say it. Right. So I feel like it's just like anything else. How do you want to be addressed? Right. So I want to talk about the moment you said, I want to start a podcast because <laughs> I've been broadcasting since like 06 and like, how'd you do it? I just talked for 14 years. That's how I did it. And <laughs> you have a wonderful voice, a natural cadence. You have your own podcast. We'll promote that in the episode description. Um, Once Upon a Gene, beautiful name, really incredible stuff. You're a natural creative. Did you ever fancy yourself a host? Oh my gosh, no. It is wild that I am podcasting. It's funny to say, you know, when you first became a parent, Matthew, and you were walking down the street pushing a stroller and you're like, this is so weird. Do yep. people look at me weird because I'm pushing a stroller? <laughs> like, why do I feel so weird? But if I see someone else pushing a stroller, that's not weird. It's kind of like that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? I'm podcasting. Okay, here I go. It's also like there was no stopping me once I realized that I had to do it because the Two Disabled Dudes was the only podcast talking about what I wanted to talk about. And there needs to be more of that content because it was a lifeline. Three Disabled Peeps, the real podcast, right? It's you and those guys. <laughs> I love them so much. I know. No, it's a great show. I love listening to their shows. Who was your first guest? Well, I invited my dear friend, Cynthia Caldy, on the show. And funny, I met her because she used to be my landlord. And she was my next door neighbor at the building in Seattle when I got my very first apartment alone downtown. This woman lived next to me and she had a little girl who obviously had some sort of disability, rare disease. She was in a wheelchair. She was nonverbal. She had craniofacial deformities and all of the stuff and found out that she had Pfeiffer's syndrome. Cynthia was the very first person I ever met that had a kiddo like that. And I loved her. We became sort of friends, but definitely next door neighbor homies. And I moved out after I got pregnant. And then I had Ford. And when that happened, I called her because she was the only person that I knew. And we became much closer since. And she's my girl. So every year I pick a top 10 shows and it's like picking your favorite kid. Do you have any two or three specific shout outs you'd like to give on the air of episodes that have had specific meaning to you? <sighs> Oh my gosh, Matthew, that is so hard because like I have the most amazing collection. They're the most beautiful people on my show. I 
have a lot of really special what I call dadvocates, Luke Rosen, Bo Bigelow, Daniel DeFabio, Mike Gralia, Charlie Stewart for some of the moms, Jill Hawkins, Crystal O'Loughlin, Elisa Seeger, oh my God, changing the world with newborn screening, Jessica Fine, who talks about ambiguous grief. I mean, there's so many amazing advocates and caregivers and patients that have been on the show and they each have something so special to bring to the table. There's just so many good ones. No, no, that was fine. I love putting people on the spot so that everyone hates them when they're not mentioned. That's my, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my goal in life. I mean, they're all my favorite. So channeling my inner advocate, I want to give a shout out to your husband. Mm. Um, does he get any credit in this? <laughs> Where the dads are <laughs> watching sports and doing shit in the background. No, we matter. We do good things. Uh, kudos to this guy. What's his name? Casey. Casey's an angel. He's such a great supporter and from day one has always just been like, do what you got to do, Effie. And man, he's my compass. He is just tried and true. He is such a good dad. And he's more of a listener. Uh, He doesn't necessarily get involved in a bunch of the active advocacy stuff like a lot of the other dads on here. He's busy uh, making all of our money so I can do this. He's behind the scenes guy. He's the behind the scenes guy and he keeps me on track. And last question, uh, would his name have been Chevrolet if you own a different car? (laughs) I mean, isn't Ford the best name? Fabulous name. Where'd that come from? You know, I got it from one of my clients at the salon. We, you know, I was trying to figure out what I was going to name him. And she said, you can use my baby name. I'm too old to have kids. And when she said it, I was like, that's it. That's it. That's a fantastic story. Yeah. So I got it from someone who bequeathed it to me. Onceuponagene.com, the podcast, your blog, you've been all over the place. I'm so proud of you. You know, we're born of our conditions. We fight the fights we can win. We take the punches we can tolerate. I hate the lemonade metaphor shit, but you've done that. Man, right back at you, Matthew. I mean, the community that you've built and the conversations that you've started, life-changing. Thank you for coming in out of patience. Thanks, everybody. Effie Parks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patience is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.